Welcome to Outside the Walls. I am Mark, and I have a special guest today. Not our usual Casey is in here with me. I have Nathan Guy. Thanks, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad to join you. And we're doing it this way today because we're discussing this past week's sermon who was or was given by our own Casey McDonald. Nathan, you were preaching somewhere else Sunday morning, so you would ask Casey to come in and fill in for you. I was. I was out of town, and Casey did a terrific job. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, you really should. You can watch it or listen to it, and he's phenomenal. And the Spirit of God was definitely at work in his sermon. He did a really good job. We're on a series called The One Sermon That Changed the World, and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. And Casey, this past week, had the subject of anger. And his sermon title was called The Antidote to Anger. And Casey realized that maybe he has some anger issues that he had mentioned because I think, Nathan, you made a comment the previous week. <laughs> I, I don't recall. <laughs> if I remember correctly, it was something along the lines of when I think of anger, I think of Casey McDonald. <laughs> I said that? Oh. Yes, I believe I did. So he, if you guys were there or you listened to it online, Casey made the comment that he realized that maybe he does have some anger issues <laughs> and he was trying to find the root of the issue, realized that maybe the issue started about last summer. And if you aren't familiar, last summer was when Nathan came on staff and started working with Casey. So I think he was alluding to the fact that maybe you're the one, Nathan, that makes him angry. Touche. Well, good comeback, and I deserved it. You know, when I think of anger, I think of the antidote to anger, which is to sit at the... He really really did a fantastic job, and I'm just so grateful to work with such a humble, kind, gentle spirit as Casey, uh, despite his excellent comeback. <laughs> yeah, Casey's a really good guy. So a lot of the things he talked about, or more specifically, I guess, it, well, he talked about Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Nathan, would you read that? I will read it. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Hmm. That's a smart guy, Jesus. (laughs) Um, This week, our objective is to see anger as the heart of a problem that escalates. Our attitudes, what we think, and how we feel matters to God, affects us profoundly, and determines our course of action. So now that you've gotten to listen to Casey's sermon this past week, Nathan, do you have any big takeaways you got from it? 
Yes, that was a great line there at the beginning. And he was trying to, you know, add to Jesus' sense of hyperbole mm-hmm. when he said, hey, maybe you can go the whole day saying, you know, I haven't murdered anybody all week. <laughs> that was a great line. And, and uh, you know, uh, that's the checklist mentality, you know, that he was challenging. Yeah, I haven't murdered anybody this week. But, you know, the feeling of rage or anger or the desire to do harm is the very same thing at the heart of all the genocides that you ever see. And so <clears throat> Jesus is really challenging us to, as he said, level up. That was a, a big takeaway. Mm-hmm. Level up. Go beyond the action, the deed, the line that you're always looking for and get to the heart of the heart of the matter. And I thought that was really good. Another big takeaway is he he made the point that when Jesus says, if you bringing your gift to the altar and you remember that there's friction in a relationship, go and make it right and then come back, which means, this is Casey's language, Jesus prioritizes reconciliation over worship. Maybe we can talk more about that. That is a profound point. Mm-hmm. He acknowledged that there are going to be times when we get angry. You know, in the Christian tradition, there's been an interesting split. Some have said that it's always wrong to be angry. Some have said it's okay to be angry as long as you don't sin. And they both have interesting points. Casey takes the side that says, yes, we are going to get angry. What we do with that anger is the real question. And the last takeaway was the story of Eva Kaur. Mm -hmm. This is a Holocaust survivor. Very interesting story. Very interesting story. And we can talk more about that later, too. But just the idea that the antidote to anger is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it that way, anger is taking in, taking in, taking in all this rage, and it just burns within you. And forgiveness is the most effective Christian way to let it out. Mm. You know, I think it's a lot of value there. And I think one of the important things he mentioned that that forgiveness is as much for the person that has been wronged as it is for the person that did the wronging. Right. Medicine to the soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought there were a lot of interesting things he said. You mentioned the leveling up idea that Casey mentioned. He said that the Ten Commandments is the base level of our rules to follow. I like that. If you think about all the Ten Commandments, that's just the start. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole point that I think Jesus was making, was that we need to look at the intent of the laws. Let's see. Also, oh, we need to start thinking about what we're saying. That was something that Casey mentioned. We need to stop and think about what we're going to say before we say it because a lot of times things can either be misconstrued or we do something in the heat of the moment that causes more issues afterwards. So we need to be more thoughtful about things we say. I like how Casey kept mentioning Jesus' statements of antithesis. (laughs) That's a very educated word or phrase. (laughs) Yes. And, of course, that – you know, anti-thesis. Thesis mm. is your point. Anti is the opposite point. And throughout this, Jesus says, you've heard this, but I say this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like the Beatitudes before that, too, where mm-hmm. it's two contrasting ideas. Right. You know, blessed are the meek. We don't usually think of things like that as being a blessing. One of the things that Jesus says is that we need to be more righteous than the Pharisees. 
What does that mean to be more righteous than the Pharisees? Oh, I think you'll have to listen to last week's podcast <laughs> for that one. <laughs> you know, that's the last verse of the section before this. Okay. Did He, he talked about that Sunday, didn't he? <clears throat> yeah. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Remind me what Casey's line was on that. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it was a great sermon. <laughs> I take to be more righteous than the Pharisees in two ways. One is they go all the way up to the line. They always want to know where the line is. They want to know where the line, you know, you're supposed to give 10%. So let's give 10% of every garden leaf. They go right up to the line. And there's a sense in which a lot of people don't do that. And so Jesus is commending the fact that there's people who care about where the rules are. But he says, what if you went beyond trying to figure out where the line is? You know, a teenager is on a date. Where's the line? Tell me where the line is so I won't cross it. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus is saying is, if your desire is to be pure in heart, why does it matter where the line is? You know, to go beyond the scribes and Pharisees isn't just, boy, I went right up to the line, didn't I? I got the rules. I checked them all off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why were you so interested in checking off all the rules? Is there a pride and issue there? You know, let's get to the heart of the heart of the heart of the issue. Mm -hmm. Are you wanting to be like God? Or are you wanting to check the boxes? Right. That's when I see him. And that was a problem then. That's a problem now. Mm -hmm. I think... Even though we hope not to be that way, I think we still catch ourselves doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you had mentioned we need to prioritize reconciliation before worship. That was a great line. Yeah. Um, I'm going to turn Second Corinthians five eighteen through twenty. That's right before Third Corinthians, right? It is. <laughs> Okay, 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 20. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So reconciliation is God's priority for us. And we need to make that a priority in our lives and with each other. And even that is more important than worship to God. You know, it's interesting, all the other stories in the Sermon on the Mount you find him saying, you know the rule. Why don't you care about the heart as much as you care about the rule? Like we're going to find out later, he's going to say, you know it's wrong to commit adultery. But what if you thought of lust as tantamount to adultery? Mm. Well, here, you know that worship is good. What if you thought of reconciling with your neighbor just as much as you think of doing the right things to, for God? Because it turns out loving your neighbor is doing the right things for God. Mm. Um, so, you know, this whole idea of why, who cares about how I love my neighbor? I'm giving God what he wants. Well, you know what God wants? He wants things right between you and your neighbor. Yeah. It, it's that idea of 
whatever we're doing is worship. Mm-hmm. We we typically think of you know coming into the auditorium and singing together, praying, reading scripture as worship. And at that time, they did the same thing in synagogues. They had the temple, and that to them was all of their worship for the most part. But it's going out when you see your neighbor, helping your neighbor, walking that second mile, things like that is worship as well. And that's what God wants to see. Actions that cause others to give glory to God. Actions that give glory to God. You know, Romans 12 says, you know, giving your bodies is a living sacrifice. It is your reasonable, NIV says, act of worship, Mm -hmm. right? I've always been curious about that. Some versions say act of worship. Other versions say reasonable service. Yes. And so in a way, that's kind of the similar thing. Worship is service. Yeah, service is say, worship. When you have a Greek word that can go both directions, that tells you something. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So talking about anger specifically, Jesus tells us to not be angry. But then we read other places where it says, like, in your anger, do not sin. Is that that was in the Psalms, correct? Well, yes, Ephesians 4 quotes it. Okay. I believe it is an Old okay. Testament passage, yeah. Well, I won't look it up now. <laughs> but, yeah, so what do we do with that? Jesus tells us not to be angry, but then there's other scriptures that say, in your anger, do not sin. Right. We know if it's helpful, if you struggle with this, uh, welcome to the club because – Christian history has been divided on this question. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's half and half, but I would say there's there's good arguments out there. One argument is, yes, anger is something that you can have. In fact, it may even be good to have in certain cases. Let's think about the arguments for that. Jesus overturns the tables. He's moved by something called indignation, righteous indignation. The prophets in the Old Testament, the Bible says they had a burden. Maybe a word for that is they were really upset with what was happening in the world, right? Mm-hmm. In Hebrews 3, verse 17, God seems to get angry, right? Mm-hmm. And so you could say that, okay, the Bible seems to show us people getting angry that we approve of, Jesus and God, for example. Mm-hmm. And so it can't be wrong. And then, you know, maybe anger is part of this hungering and thirsting for justice in the world. And so you could see the arguments there. On the other hand, we also, Dallas Willard has this interesting line just to think about. Uh, Dallas Willard, he, he died, but he was a pretty famous Christian philosopher living out in California. And he said, there is nothing good that I can do well or spiritually with anger that I can't also do without it. And therefore, anger is not necessary and maybe even not even useful. Mm. That's his argument. And some of the text that might help you with this is, I know if you're reading some versions, it'll say if you're angry with your brother without a cause, but that line really isn't there in the original. Mm-hmm. He just says and if I you're angry. says that, right. And I want to be careful here because I, I think Jesus is using hyperbole throughout this chapter. So let's be careful with, you know, well, he didn't qualify it. Well, you know, when you're trying to make a, a point and you st- and you make overstatements, mm-hmm. like if you say you fool, you're in danger of hellfire, 
I think anybody who calls another fool probably doesn't think they're going to hell at that moment. There's an overstatement, mm -hmm. but it's meant to make a point. So for one way or the other, it's just good to know that he doesn't actually say without a cause, at least not the, the best manuscripts that we have. And, you know, anger does seem to begin a downward spiral. Casey made this point, the Star Wars line from mm -hmm. Master Yoda. Yes. Fears the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And I would, I would add, if you look through Matthew 5, it is interesting how Jesus seems to be going through a progression that applies so many ways. I'm stealing some from my sermon coming up Sunday. But he's talking about anger and then lust and then betrayal that ends in divorce. Have you ever known a divorce that wasn't the result of anger or lust? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. it's like control anger, control lust, or else it's going to lead to the end of relationships. Mm. And so there's a, there's a progression here. And so he does seem to think, look, if you can nip this in the bud, think of, think of how you'll save yourself a lot of heartache down the road. Yes. Which reminds me, I think Casey did say something that it's the ongoing anger that's the sin mm -hmm. because we're not controlling it. And when we lose control of it is when we start to have issues like that. And maybe that's the middle ground between these two Christian positions, which is it's okay if it's used in the right way at the right time for the right reason. The problem is we're often self-deluded and we don't use it rightly. Yeah. Thus, the people who say don't, it's not good, they have a point because it hardly ever is. And for those who say, but it's not a sin because Jesus and God do it, well, they're right. And let's try to be more like them, mm -hmm. and we will use it right. So there's a point there. So in the Diving Deeper class that we had afterwards, Jim Shelton also brought up a third view. We have the two main views, which you just mentioned. The anger is okay when it serves a righteous person or purpose, or no, because anger is almost always wrong for us. He also mentioned that we see God get angry, we see Jesus get angry, we see the prophets get angry, but maybe they're the only ones that have the right to actually get angry. Hmm. We're not God, we're not Jesus, hmm. so maybe we don't have the right to get angry. Hmm. I find that argument hard because anger is an emotion. Mm -hmm. God has given us emotions. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong to feel an emotion, but it's what we do with that emotion that can either be good or bad. Yeah, and this may all come down to definitions, right? Yes. Yeah. Like so the word rage seems bad, right? Mm -hmm. Concern seems good. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> maybe we're talking about a spectrum here. Okay. You know. Yeah. That's um, true. But it seems to me that we do we do know that there's healthy and unhealthy ways of dealing with emotions. Mm. And that's what Casey was getting at. Mm -hmm. Maybe we, we give ourselves a break for what we're feeling, but give ourselves a strong reprimand for allowing those feelings to dominate our thinking, our lives, our judgment. Yeah, something there. And I guess a, I don't know if it's good advice or not, but I'll say it anyway. I think that's where we need to, I mean, the Bible always talks about give it to God. Mm -hmm. When when you start feeling that and it's making you or tempting you to do something you shouldn't do, you need to practice on letting it go, letting God take care of it. Yes. 
so you're not worrying about it. It's not eating away at you. And you know where Casey ends the sermon, it's maybe it's the same raw emotion that gets transformed into this thing called forgiveness. Mm. Forgiveness, in my mind, is not unemotional. Forgiveness is not a cold thing you do at the end of a checklist. And so if you think of anger as this bitter feeling, what happens when that bitter feeling turns into something sweet? An opportunity to say, all the all the things this thing has made me feel can now be turned into something good as we watch you develop, say, a melted heart, right? The fire, mm. the fire I feel can melt a heart. And that's a that's a way of transforming it, using it for something good. And I like that. <laughs> I hadn't heard that before. Well, you know, nitroglycerin mm-hmm. can blow things up, but it can also be used to heal heart issues. Maybe it's something like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. So now that we're we're mentioning forgiveness more, and Casey does say that forgiveness is the antidote to anger, we could talk more about the story he had mentioned towards the end of his sermon about Eva Moses. Eva Kaur. Eva Kaur. Okay. I looked it up online. Maybe. Is that her middle name? Maybe. Or maybe that it was spelled M-O-Z-E-S. I think it's her middle name. Okay. So Eva Kaur, she was a child when or in Nazi Germany, and she was taken to Auschwitz. I guess she was Jewish, so she got put in a prison camp there. She was 10 years old, is that right? That's what I think, yeah. Okay. And she only, she only passed away a few years ago. Wasn't that long ago. But she had talked about... She was a twin, and she and her twin sister both went at the same time. And at the time, these German doctors were doing tests and on twins. And so I guess she got taken, and they had done all these tests. She said injected her with things that she still doesn't even know what it was. And finally, after the war was over, she got out. But she remembered this one doctor, and they called him... What was it? The Angel of Death yes. was his nickname. Yes. Dr. And, Mengele, I believe. Oh, yeah. 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 And then I guess she she never could find him. She spent all these years angry, searching for this guy, never could find him. But eventually there was a, another German doctor that agreed to meet and talk with her. And she was appreciative that he was willing to do this with her because – you know, it would have been a lot easier for him to just say no, but he was willing to come talk to her, and she was trying to figure out what kind of gift she should she could bring him to thank him for being willing to do this. And she said she thought for months, I think it was, and eventually came up with the idea of writing a letter of forgiveness and to imagine this girl being 10 years old, being abused, put through all these tests and things like that and spending her whole life being angry being willing to write a letter of forgiveness and mean it Hmm. is a big deal and I can't remember if Casey mentioned what happened after that I don't remember if there is more to that story okay but I accept that she wrote a book she did she wrote a book I think in 1993 and then there's a documentary 
I looked it up. You can watch it for free online. Mm. It's an hour-long documentary, and I think it's called A7068, which was the tattoo number that they gave her when she went into the camp. But it is really moving story to see this lady who held a grudge for so long, which to us, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Nobody would be upset with her if she was angry her whole life, but she was willing to forgive. And the interesting part is, again, she was the victim. She didn't have to do the forgiving. She was the victim, and she was still willing to forgive without somebody coming to her and apologizing first. It's it's a remarkable story, powerful and moving. You know, you try to imagine what would I what would I do, think, or feel if I was in that situation. <clears throat> so I don't I don't know, but I think it's pretty incredible what she did. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking to the fact that you said she was the victim in the passage, whenever I read this uh, too fast. Here's the way I read it or the way I say it to myself. If you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that you've got something against your brother, go and make it right. Mm-hmm. But that's not what he says. He says if you're offering your gift and you remember that your brother has something against you, go and make it right. This whole idea of, well, they're the offender. They should come make it right. Right. And he says, can you imagine what the world would be like if we always wait for the wrong person to do the right thing. What probably if the, exactly the way the world is now. Probably the way it is now. <laughs> yeah. But what if the right person, the one who understands what's right, goes and does the right thing, even toward the wrong person? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's a way of turning the tables and saying, the only way this is going to get reconciled is if someone who wants and understands the need for reconciliation does something. Mm. Let that be you. It's pretty powerful. It is. And you have to be very humble. You have to be very meek, which is exactly who God says is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. At the end of his sermon, he gave us a challenge and he said, think of someone that you have offended or someone who has something against you and go and make it right. And yeah. Surprising! I got ten invitations to lunch, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So you know, you wonder if you're going to get a bunch of calls after that. So no, what did I do? Um, but his idea was to really do that. And could I make a suggestion to all of you listeners? If you're not sure if the person that you still hold this hatred about, they'll ever contact you. Maybe they're not alive anymore. Maybe you don't know where they're living. Maybe it was a long time ago. I do think there's power in writing that letter of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I can say this is something I did once, Mm. only once. But actually doing it, I know I've sat down with the purpose of doing it, knowing actually that I wasn't going to send this letter, but just writing it out helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can send the letter if you want. But I think part of the, the reason I did this was because I felt wronged by somebody, but they didn't know that they did that. And so me writing it out without the intent of sending it to them helped me get over it, I guess. I think that's beautiful. I mean, obviously, God wants real reconciliation. He doesn't want us to 
to hold everything inside. That in fact, forgiveness isn't holding it inside, right? Right. It's, it's releasing it. Yeah. And realizing that you know God is his shoulders big enough to handle it. Mm-hmm. I think that was part of why I didn't send it was because them seeing the letter probably would have made the issue worse because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. then they realized that they did something wrong and it would have caused more friction. Mm-hmm. So probably healthier for that person not to read that letter and healthier for me to get it out there somewhere. It, it, if anything, if it helps you change the way you see them, mm-hmm. that's a real step in the right direction. It's pretty amazing what uh, releasing our anger can do for us. And it keeps us from going down this terrible downward spiral. One of the things that our song leader Sunday, Dan Hatcher, had mentioned, because he didn't know the answer to Casey's question in his sermon, the antidote to anger, before the actual sermon. So I'll say that Dan made an assumption, and it wasn't a wrong assumption, but he assumed that the answer was love. And so he mentioned that beforehand. He said, I, I picked all these songs about love because that's what I thought was the summary of Casey's sermon. And then I found out this morning that that wasn't it. So we're going to sing a lot of songs about love. <laughs> and Casey did mention that, no, love is still important because love is what leads to that forgiving heart. Right. And I appreciate that. Obviously, love is the greatest good. You know, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, chapter chapter 5. He ends that chapter as he's leading up to the hardest thing, which is to love your enemies. Mm-hmm. I, I get all that. We all get all that. But if you're not there yet, you know, you can forgive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not ready to accept you as my equal and to share bread at my table and to treat you as my brother or sister, but I am going to step one. I'm no longer going to think that you are an outcast. Step one, I release this anger that's making me never want anything more. You know, I think Mm -hmm. there's some value to that. The antidote to anger may not be something you can't do yet, aren't happy, aren't ready for yet. And I think there's value in that. You know, step one, is to release what you can control. Mm -hmm. And I think there's value there. Well, very good. Uh, I enjoyed this week's sermon. Looking forward to you coming back this next week and giving your sermon. I guess we can tease the sermon a little bit. Uh, The title is called Wonderlust. Is there any comments you want to make beforehand about it? Yeah, so, you know, if you look up the definition of Wonderlust, it's this deep desire to go see what else is out there. And we do that with our relationships. And this idea of we get old, it gets old, it gets tired. I wonder if this spouse that doesn't want to listen to me anymore could be replaced by someone who would and that sort of thing. And so we talked about how lust starts wandering Mm. and causes us to wander and our eyes wander. There's the play on words. And so wonder lust, we're going to talk about Jesus' statement about lust and also a statement about divorce and how this connects to a heart that is either seeking for what I want or what he wants. And the, the why do we make a covenant with our eyes? Why is lust such a tragic thing? Because of what it can lead to, but also because of what it says about you. And so we're going to talk about all of that.
Sounds good. It'll be exciting. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. We're glad to have you back. We're going to miss Casey up there. Yeah, he'll have to get back up there soon. I hope he gets another chance soon. And again, our challenge for this week is to identify people with whom you have unreconciled relationships, make some effort towards reconciliation, or start approaching and do it in such a way that it doesn't blame the other person. Mm, Amen. Very humbling. And we appreciate everyone for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at podcast at wschurch.net, and I'll read those and respond to you, or we will respond to it on the next podcast. I also want to let everyone know some of the resources that we have. Obviously, you can watch the sermons on our church's Facebook page, on our YouTube channel. They're all up there. Nathan, I think, was just posting this past week's on the YouTube channel right before we came in here to record this, so that should be up. We also have a book that Nathan put together on the Living the Sermon on the Mount Diving Deeper series. I will post a link to that. You can find that on Nathan's website as well, nathanguy.com. There are three books also that a lot of information comes from. There is The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Sermon on the Mount, Explorations in Christian Practice practiced by Ed Gallagher, and Living Jesus, Doing What Jesus Says in the Sermon on the Mount by Randy Harris. I will give a two thumbs up to the Dietrich Bonhoeffer book. It's really good. I actually have a hard time putting that down. And I'm trying to just read what I need to for these podcasts in the lessons, but... I catch myself going ahead. A strong connection with the Eva core story. Bonhoeffer also is connected to the to the story of Germany and Hitler and all of that. He was also involved in all of that, put in a in a camp and was killed just before the war ended. I didn't know that. Yes. I knew it was an older book, but okay. <laughs> Interesting. Well, thanks for joining us again, and we will see you next week. Bye. We love you. Love you.